following sermon is brought to you by Genuine, the college ministry of Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. More information about our ministry is available at www.cogginchurch.org forward slash university. All right, man. Well, hope you all excited about the year. Okay, two of you. Wow. Okay, man. This is gonna be this is gonna be an awesome year. I can just I can feel it. All right, the excitement in the room is electric. Um, hey, all right. Well, listen, we are. I'm, I'm, I really am glad that you're here tonight. I've been pumped for you guys to get back, and I hope I hope the first couple weeks have been good. Uh, let me tell you what we normally do. If you're if you're new to genuine. Let me tell you where we're going this semester. What we normally do is we just pick a book of the Bible and we, we plow through it. All right. So we, we went through Ephesians last year. Um, this semester, uh, we are actually going to be going through the book of James is where we're going to wind up. But before we get there, we're going to spend a lot of time this semester talking about faith, what faith is, um, what it does inside the life of the believer. So before we get to the book of James, and we kind of plow through that for about 11 weeks, we wanted to take about five, six weeks, and we wanted to start a series called Enemies of the Faith, all right? Because there is, there is good and there is evil out there inside of the world. No matter how good you think things get or things are, evil somehow always confronts you, okay? Let me, let me explain kind of what I mean. Um, this uh, Thursday and Friday... Awesome days, man. Like, came to work. Work was great. Hung out with the interns for a while. That that was great. Got home. Went to my in-laws' place at their ranch. They, they have a ranch outside of um, Iredell, Texas, about an hour and a half from here. Uh, we got there right as the sun was setting. I sat on the porch with my, with my father-in-law. Watched the sun set. It was epic. Ate some great food. Had some good fellowship. Went to bed that night. The kids slept all night. Awesome, all right, like it was, it was a beautiful thing, got to sleep all night long, got up, we went to the zoo, all right, we packed the kids up, and we went to the Fort Worth Zoo, and that was, that was epic, I mean, going to zoos with kids is awesome, all right, I mean, you get up to the monkey thing, it's epic, all right, boys start acting like monkeys, it's good, we feed giraffes, we do all kinds of things, we walk the zoo, the zoo is just is, is awesome, then we get done looking at everything, and then we go to the splash pad. All right, they have a huge splash pad there. We spend the next two hours at the splash pad, uh, just hanging out there. Storm begins to roll in, and everyone, and it's just like, should we leave? I'm like, no, there's no lightning. So everyone leaves except us, right? Because I'm like, no, we're gonna be that family. And so, so we are the only ones at the splash pad, at the Fort Worth Zoo. I mean, our kids are just running all over the place. I'm like, yeah, jump off it, bro. And, and I mean, like, things are just, things are just, it's an epic day. I mean, we drive home, we stop at IHOP, which is our kids' favorite place, and I get chicken fried steak and eggs and pancake meals. I mean, I just ate until I couldn't eat anymore. We get in, and I'm thinking, uh, maybe I can watch some football tonight. It's going to be like the perfect end to a perfect day. And you can kind of, sometimes, if you're not careful, you kind of lull into these times of beauty and, and things that are Things that are good that are around you. And we get home and we kind of unpack and I look at Lindsay and I'm like, man, Lindsay, today, today was just an awesome day. And then I did something that I knew I shouldn't have done. All right? But I went to my computer, I opened it up, and I turned on the news, right? And right in the middle, right in the middle of my beautiful day, I'm reading these reports. 
people hiding in cars. Gunmen in Midland, Odessa, a lone gunman, shoots 27 different people. The last number I saw, 27 different people, seven are killed. And I'm thinking, why, man? Why in the middle of the beauty of all that this day was, this time with my family, it's beautiful and good, and I walk in and there's evil and chaos mingled with it. Mingled with it. So listen, there is evil and there is there is good. And it's not just out in the world. If we're honest, listen, it's even inside of our own hearts, isn't it? Like sometimes even inside of our own hearts, there's this struggle at times to pursue the good, the beautiful, and true, and then pursue things that are not good and beautiful and true. It's the, it's the Romans 7 kind of um, war that wages inside the believer. And listen, Western secular theories have tried to explain away evil and all, all kinds of different things. Maybe we just need more education. Um, every four years we get in this political cycle where it's like, man, if we just elect the right person politically, evil will be done away with. If we can just educate people more. If we can just get more medicine, we can, we can get away. We can do something. And all of those Western kind of secular theories, they fall flat to our human experience, don't they? Like we, listen, we have been trying for 2,000 years to fix, longer than that, since the beginning of time to fix this problem. And there's nothing new under the sun, right? Like, there still is chaos. There still is evil. So, so what we wanted to do um, is we just wanted to talk about these three great enemies. Inside the pages of Scripture, what fills the pages of Scripture, there are three enemies to the believer. Satan, the flesh, and the world. All right? Satan, the flesh, and the world. Tonight, we just want to talk about Satan. All right? Glad you came. All right. Glad you came. All right. We're going to talk about Satan tonight. And, and, and why? Why would you... Why would you spend a night talking about talking about Satan, the accuser, the deceiver? Why would we do that? Well, Sun Tzu wrote, wrote that book, The Art of War, and, and one of the most famous lines in, in that book is, Know Your Enemy, or in this case, the, the Enemies, in our case. And listen, we want to know them so that we can do what the Bible says and fight the good fight of faith here. And the Bible talks about Satan, the world, and the flesh. And so what we want to do the next six weeks here... As we just want to kind of unpack, we're going to spend about two weeks on each one. Who is, tonight's going to be, who is Satan? And next week, how do we wage war against him? What is the world? And how do we wage war against the world? What is the flesh? And how do we wage war against the flesh? What are the things that God has given us? So tonight, we're just going to talk about Satan. All right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take, take it on. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be tonight. John chapter 8. We might jump back to Genesis 3 very momentarily here at the end. We're going to spend more time in Genesis 3 next week. Um, But I want you to start in John chapter 8. I want to read this, and then I want to pray, and then we'll dive into some things here. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Chad, could you, uh, the scripture slides, could you advance this for me when we get to the end of these? Okay, John chapter 8, verse 31. Let's read this, and then we're going to unpack this passage. Passage them, okay? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, is that true? If you know anything about Jewish history, 
Like, is that true? Really, Israelites, we've never been, I'm like, okay, what about, like, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Rome? Like, like I don't know where these guys are getting up. You can already see, listen, in this entire thing, you are going to see truth and lie pitted against one another. This entire passage, truth and lie, pitted against one another. We've never been slaves to anyone, liar, all right? How is it that you say we will become free? So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have, uh, have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So now comes in this imagery of two different fathers. Jesus, I know my father, and, and I, know your, I know your father. I know who your daddy is. All right? Keep going. Because there's a play in words here in verse 39. In verse 37, he says, I know you're offspring of Abraham. But then in the Greek, the word changes here in verse 39 to be children or seed of Abraham. All right? Verse 39. So they answered him, well, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Again, you are doing what your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now, a lot of scholars think that this is a dig directly at Jesus, all right? Hey, Jesus, we know who Mary is, that virgin who had a baby. Yeah, we weren't born of sexual immorality like you. We know who our daddies are, all right? So this is like a, a dig and a jab at, at Jesus here. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're still claiming that God is their father. But Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's a rhetorical question. He's going to answer it for them. He's going to ask it twice and give them the answer. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And remember, his word is truth. You are of, all right, here's a knockout punch, all right? You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's stuff. It's never good when Jesus says your daddy's the devil, all right? <laughs> never good inside of scripture, all right? Your daddy is the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Again, rhetorical question. He's going to answer for him. Why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Oh, man, there's a lot going on inside of this passage. 
Um, we're going to come back, spend some time in Genesis 3, come back and spend some more time in this passage probably next week. But there's just three or four verses out of what we read tonight that I really want us to focus on. So let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into this, all right? Let's pray. Pray with me. Father, tonight, would you, Dad, I want you to help. I want you to help me tonight. I want you to help me unpack this passage to say things that are true and right and good and real. Um, And Lord, tonight, I want the enemy to be exposed for who he is. He is a liar and he is a murderer. And, And as much as he dresses his lies up, they always end in a cemetery, in death. And so, so Father, tonight I pray that you would reveal the enemy for who he is. I pray that you would help us believe that you tell the truth, Father. You always speak the truth. The things that are good and beautiful and true come from you. They are found in you, inside of your words. And tonight what I want, Dad, what I want you to do tonight is if... For those of us that are inside this room, if there's any lie from the enemy that we have begun to believe that is shaping the way that we live, Father, tonight, this week, would you expose that lie? Would you expose it for what it is? And would you call us to yourself, to the thing that is beautiful and good? God, would you call us to what is true? And would you call us to Jesus? Would you call us to Jesus? Would would your son Christ be exalted tonight? And spirit, you're called the spirit of truth. Would the spirit of truth, spirit, would you have your way inside of this room tonight? Would you reveal, would you reveal, would you tear down lies in our lives? And God's what I want to see happen tonight. I want your spirit, spirit, do this work in this place this evening. And Jesus, be exalted tonight. Be exalted tonight, for I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So listen, this is one of the longest passages of Scripture that we have inside of the New Testament where Jesus talks about Satan, who he is, and what he, what he does. And very quickly, there's three things that Jesus says about the Satan. All right? The Satan. Here's the first thing that Jesus is, is going to say, that he is real and he is powerful. All right? Satan is not a myth. Alright, he's not a figment of your imagination. Um, if you grew up like me watching uh, a lot of cartoons, Satan a lot of times would show up in like all red cape and a pitchfork, alright? And he's like, he's like trying to just get you to do like, that's not necessarily the right image. It's not like Will Ferrell on SNL or whatever. Have you, have you seen any of those? Listen, he's not, a, he's not a figment of your imagination. He is an invisible but a very real intelligence. He is a very real intelligence that is the evil, listen to me, he's the evil behind so much evil that we see. He is the evil behind so much evil in our soul, in our society. And if you look at this, listen, even inside of who is Jesus having this conversation with? The religious leaders of the day. Alright? So he is a very real enemy and he is extremely powerful. In John chapter 14, verse 30, he is called the ruler of this world. He's one of the most powerful created beings that God ever made. In the book of Job, he's actually sitting in a courtroom with God, and and he's part of this group of of beings called the sons of God that have been created by God to to rule the world. And Satan's there. He's, 
He's real, he is powerful, all right? And he is always presented as hostile to God and working to overthrow his purposes and attempting to keep people from, from God, all right? He is always an, inman, an, an, enemy, uh, an enemy, an adversary, all right? Someone who convicts and accuses. Now listen, let me tell you why this is important. Because maybe some of you in here are living with the post, uh, uh, post-enlightenment kind of mind, all right? There are people out there that think, man, come on. Seriously, like, you believe Satan's real? Like, bro, that was something for 2,000 years ago when they didn't have science, okay? And so they, they talk about demon possession, but we know today... That, that's just like epilepsy. Like there's a scientific reason for that. And, and they, they, they talk about these kinds of, kinds of things. But really, we know today, we know today that that's not really what happened. It, it, it was coined by a guy named James Flynn, all right, who was a sociologist. It was called the Flynn Effect. And here's what the Flynn Effect essentially said. That every generation we get smarter and smarter and smarter. That this, the, the, the newest generation that's coming up is going to be more intelligent than the previous generation, all right? So he, he tracked IQs of people, and he said it, it became this whole uh, sociologist dynamic of how we understood culture and society that said, listen, we are smarter now today than we've ever been. IQ rates are rising, and this fit like a glove with our post-enlightenment progressive mindset, right? Like, this just fit. Yeah, we're smarter today than those dumb people back in the old days. Um, Never mind that it's been completely debunked by everyone. Even James Flynn says that was total bogus. It wasn't, it wasn't like real. Actually, they, they've tracked IQs. You know which way they're headed now? Down. Like we're getting, like if that's true, we're getting dumber. But listen, listen, it's been, it's been debunked by everyone. We, listen, we are not more intelligent than people were 3,000 years ago. We may have more knowledge, but knowledge is not the same thing as intelligence. And listen to me very closely. Intelligence is definitely not the same thing as wisdom. All right? So, so we are not more intelligent than humans were 30 years ago. Um, we're actually guilty of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Have you ever heard of that? C.S. Lewis penned this thing. It was called chronological snobbery. It was this thinking that the generation of now is smarter than the generations of the past. And it's not true. It's not true. We're not smarter. We're not more intelligent. We may have more knowledge, but again, knowledge is not the same thing as intelligence, and intelligence is definitely not the same thing as wisdom, all right? And you need to get that, get that right. So listen, if that's you, all right, if you come in here tonight and you find yourself this, this weighty kind of scientific post-enlightenment person that thinks there is no way that science and faith can go, go to it, um, Let's sit down. Let's go to coffee. Let's have some. Let's have some lunch. All right, burrito at Common Grounds. All right, it's awesome. Woo! Okay. Woo! All right. Um. <laughs> um. But what I, what I would ask for you is this. All right. I just want you for a few weeks. Just suspend your suspicions for a few weeks. We can talk about it. But what if? What if Jesus and the writers of Scripture know more about reality than we know right now? Like, what if? They have a whole other lens of reality that we in the Western secular world are simply blind to. All right? Because Jesus here, the first thing that he says is, he is real. Um, there was a movie that came out, um, and one of the quotes from the movie, I can't remember which movie it was, um, and I can't remember the guy's name because it was really weird. 
But he said, one of the greatest tricks of the devil in all of history has, be, has been getting people to believe that he does not exist. Usual suspects right there. Moody Guru. Thank you, Bob. Um, all right. So here's the thing. He's, he's real. Here's the second thing that we learn about the devil. His goal, his end game, the end game of the devil is, is to murder and destroy. All right? It is his end game. His name indicates his intentions. All right? Um, the word devil in the Greek, diabolos, all right, it's used 35 times in the New Testament. It's used with the, the, the article the devil indicating it's a title for him. It's not a name. All right? It's a title for the Satan. All right? he, his title is the devil. It means to slander, to accuse, to bear false witness. And look, look, look back at verse 44 again. Look, look at verse 44 again. Look at what it says here. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is reaching back to Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is reaching back to Genesis chapter 3 and saying from the very beginning, his interactions with humanity have been to murder and kill. In John chapter 10, verse 10, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus is going to say about him, the thief comes to what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. This is who he has been a murderer from the beginning. If you've seen Endgame, all right, he's like Thanos, but more wicked, all right? Thanos, have you, has everyone seen this movie? Okay, I'm going to read it for you anyway. All right, so Thanos, the entire point of Thanos' existence inside of this movie is to, is to get power so that with a snap of a finger, he can wipe out half of all living creatures. And, and, and he, in his misguided thinking, thinks that this is a lovely, beautiful, good, and true thing to do. And just like Thanos, inside of those movies, he's, he's a picture, alright? All movies are just pictures. Everyone's looking for this hero to come in and rescue them from the Thanos. Except Satan is worse because it's not just half of humanity he wants to take out. It's all of humanity, if you could. All right, it's all of you made. So listen, he is at war. He is at war with God's vision of the beautiful, the good, and the true. He is at war with it. So if, it ever, if you ever look around and it feels like war inside of our culture, or feels like sometimes even inside of your own heart, there's this war raging that is going on, listen to me, that's because there is. There is. You and I, as Jesus followers, have been saved and then sent into a battle zone. Alright? All of life is war. Alright, this is what Piper famously said in his book on missions. All of life is war. It's not all it is, but it is always that. And we are at war with an enemy. Alright? Because the devil's end goal is to murder and to destroy. Here's the last thing that Jesus teaches us about, about the devil. Alright? That his primary strategy for how he is going to accomplish the end of murdering and destroying. Now, you got this is where you need to lock in. Because we're going to track through some things right here. I'm going to try to do it quickly. But this is where you need to track through some things. His primary tool um, is lies. When he lies, he is speaking his native tongue. Look at the end of verse 44. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks out 
Listen, out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So listen to me very closely. Listen to me very closely. The primary way that we engage in spiritual warfare is to is distinguishing between truth and lie. That is the primary way that you and I are going to engage in spiritual warfare. Now that's normally not the way we think about spiritual warfare, right? Like when we think about spiritual warfare, we think like like exorcism movies and people's heads spinning around, like demon possession, people talking weird voices, or or we think about disease or disaster or war or famine. We think about these like huge things, things that happen. Like man, I was, you know, I've, I've met guys before. They're like, man, Satan's after me. Like I was, I was driving to church and got an argument with my wife. I'm like, Perry, calling your wife Satan, or are you saying like, <laughs> clarify for me here, like what you're, he's just after me. I'm like, bro, maybe he's after you, or maybe, maybe you were just a jerk to your wife this morning. Like, 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 ooh, burn, all right, whatever. Um, like, like, but, but so many times, listen, so many times when we think about spiritual warfare, we think demons, disaster, possession. The flat tire with the nail in it, right? Like, that's the proverbial one that everyone always uses. I'm not saying that Satan isn't in those things. But notice here, however, that in Jesus' most in-depth teaching about the devil, listen to me, he doesn't mention any of that. His most, in, his most in-depth teaching about the devil and who he is and what he does, he mentions lies. Please listen to me. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The signature move of the enemy in my life and your life is going to be lies. Lies. Now, why does that matter? All right? All right, everyone good? We're almost done. All right? We're almost done. Like another 30 minutes. All right, we're good? Okay. All right, here we go. I have to do some... We're going to break here for a second. We're going to break and we're going to come back to Satan. But let's break for a second and talk about why this matters. We've got to do a little philosophy here, okay? Some of you are like, I watch SpongeBob. I'm good with philosophy. All right, I, and you'll track with me just fine, okay? So, so spiritual warfare is primarily a fight to believe truth over lies. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about truth and lie? Let me give you some definitions here. When we're talking about truth, what I mean by truth is reality, all right? It, something that is true is something that, that corresponds to reality, the way things really are. And reality, reality is what you run into when you're wrong, right? So like if I were to, if I were to tell everyone tonight, listen, I can fly. And if you want to watch me fly, I'm going to go to the top of this building afterwards and I'm just going to run. I'm going to, I'm going to jump off, right? Reality is what I hit about two seconds later, right? I hit reality and a whole lot of pain. So truth is Reality and reality is what you run into when you're wrong. When you're wrong, right? So then a lie, a lie is something that is rooted in unreality. It's something that Satan tries to pass off as real, but in the end, it does not correspond to reality. And if you try to follow that lie out to its logical end, you will meet reality. You will meet reality, all right? Now, this is important. This is important because if truth is reality and lie is unreality, sociologists um, 
sociologists say this. We live our life by mental maps, okay? We all have mental maps in our lives. that we These are, these are ideas or assumptions about reality that map how we navigate life, okay? We all have them. We have literal mental maps in our mind. Like, like if you, um, if you, it's like a GPS, all right? If you wake up on Tuesday and you have a class at Newman Hall and you live in Vita or Jennings or Taylor, right? There is a mental, a literal mental map in your mind about how you get to Newman Hall. You get up, you get dressed, go out to the parking lot, you get in your car, you come down Center or Fisk or whatever that street is behind Vita, right? You hit Austin, you hang a right, you go through a couple of lights over an overpass, then you take a left to get into the parking lot, you park, you get into the building, and bam, you're at Newman. You have a mental map inside of your mind. If your mental map corresponds to reality, if it's true, then you get where you want to go. You get to class at Newman, hopefully on time, all right? Not walking in late. Can I get a witness? All right, anyone? <laughs> if your mental map, but listen, if your mental map is a lie, and it doesn't correspond to reality, you wind up in like Santa Ana. I mean, I don't know, some places like you don't want to be, all right? Not that Santa Ana's not very nice. I know we got some Santa Ana people in here. Gotcha, all right? You wind up in like Santa Ana or some places. Now listen, in the same way that you and I have mental maps for directions, how you listen, you have a mental map in your mind of how you think life is meant to be lived. You have a mental map inside of your mind. You have a mental map for your whole life. Alright? You have a mental map in your mind for sexuality, for money, for power, for love, for romance, for how you spend your time. You have a mental map about what life is all about. And, and humans, more than any other people, have the ability to take these mental maps and navigate to get themselves to a destination. One of the things that's beautiful about the human mind is we can even take a snapshot of a future event that isn't even real yet and figure out how to navigate to get to that thing. This is why you can, you know, you want cupcakes tonight, right? You, like, you can go bake cupcakes. They aren't real yet. But you think happiness is found in cupcakes, all right? So, so happiness equals cupcakes. So what do I need? So the mental map in your mind, I gotta go to Brookshire's or Walmart, I gotta get eggs, I gotta, I gotta get, uh, if you cook from scratch, if you don't, I gotta get the pancake mix and the one egg, you know, and I gotta stir that, I gotta get it in the oven, I gotta do this. We, humans, unlike animals, have this ability to hold a future reality and then work to bring that reality into being, all right? Animals don't have this, like, I had a dog, Maverick, he passed away this summer. It's very sad. Um, I know, it's fine. Um, uh, but listen, Maverick, he only lived in the moment. Like, no ability to see the future and, and, and things like that. If he was hungry and there was a, a, a cupcake on the table, he jumped up on the table and ate it, all right? I mean, didn't care about consequences, whatever. So, so, so humans have the ability to, to do this, to hold ideas about the happy future we desire, and then use our bodies to bring that future into existence, we create a mental map. But here's the deal. This is one of the beautiful things about humanity. It's also our Achilles heel. Because listen, if the future or the, the unreality that we hold in our heads, that this mental map is working towards, corresponds to truth, corresponds to reality, then we get to something that is good and beautiful and true. But listen, what if 
What if the idea about the unreality, the future that we have, is not rooted in reality, but lie? What happens then? What if the thing that we're holding on to, the thing that we think this is going to be it, the thing that, that creates a mental map inside of our head is actually a lie? Listen, when we, when we believe truth, last two things I'm going to say here, then we're going to get back to Satan, all right? And we're going to close this thing down. When we believe truth, we show up to reality well. Right? When we believe truth, we show up to the way God created things to work. His good, his good intentions. It's the beautiful, the good, and the true. But listen, when we believe a lie, when we believe a lie, things unravel. Things unravel into chaos and death. All right? When, when we believe in lies that aren't congruent with the reality of the Creator's design, when we allow those lies into our bodies, or what the uh, biblical authors call the soul, we open the whole person up to a poison. Truth leads to life. Lies lead to chaos and death. This is why the most extreme example of mental illness all right, think about paranoid schizophrenia. Like a mind that has been so warped to believe in lie that all of life chaos. So listen, this is incredibly important, this truth and lie thing here. And listen, Satan knows it. He knows it. He knows that if he can weave into the fabric of your mind and your thinking even a future unreality about what happiness looks like and what is real, if he can weave into that and sow into that a lie so that the mental map of your life weaves towards this unreality, listen, he can destroy you. He can destroy you. And, and, and listen, this is how he started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and he's still doing it today. All right, so, so let, let's jump back to Satan real fast. I'm going to expose the three things that he does. We're going to pray and we're out of here, and then we'll pick back up next week. So what do we do then? All right, like, thank you for telling me what he's doing to me. How do I fix that, please? I'm like a dose of, of how, I, how I fix that. All right, so here we go. In the garden, back in Genesis chapter 3, when Jesus says here he was alive from the beginning, he's talking about the garden, and here's... Um, here's the thing, he calls him a liar, um, and this is, this is how his strategy works, alright, let me, let me give you a strategy, write stuff down, write this down, um, he gives you, step one is a deceitful idea or lie, this is Satan, alright, he's a liar, he's gonna try to sow a lie into your life, we see this, um, uh, in the garden, especially when he looks at, at, at Eve, and says, man, you won't die, we're gonna talk about lies next week, we're gonna try to define lies, because most of us, Side note, most of us in here try to lie like Satan and think it's okay. All right, we'll get to that next week. But the first thing he's going to do is gonna, he's going he's gonna to give you a deceitful idea or lie. Step two is this, that appeals to a disordered desire in you. It's not just a deceitful idea. It's an idea that is targeted towards a disordered desire in your life. He always makes an emotional appeal. Here's what I mean by this. None of us sin out of duty, right? Like, not, like when we lust. None of us are sitting around being like, I don't know, I'm at 7.30. Like, I need a lust. I've committed. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to, but I've committed. It's in the calendar. So I guess I, I, guess I just need to go ahead and lust. That's not, how that, that's not how that works, right? 
Like we don't we don't commit sin out of duty. We commit sin, listen, because we want to. We sin because we want to. We, we bought into some kind of view of happiness and lust that turning a man or a woman into an object, an object or objectifying them for something that I want is going to bring me happiness. We confuse pleasure and happiness. They are not the same thing. Alright? But but we sin out of we sin out of desire. He he doesn't whisper things that you don't care like like he doesn't tempt you with like Elvis is alive. Like who cares? I don't care if Elvis is alive. I don't care about grace. That's not how he works. He whispers a lie into your mind and into your heart. Listen to me. That is appealing to a desire in you that is already disordered and being and being bent away from reality. Alright? And then, and then his last step, his last, that's the flesh. This is what we're going to do when we get to the flesh. And the last thing here is he normalizes it inside of a sinful culture. Inside of, it, then that sin begins to be normalized in a sinful society. Listen, ideas, ideas that are infused into institution, that, that get infused in institutions can cause them to become evil. We all know the power of ideas. This is why in our culture right now, everyone's trying to talk about what you can say, can't say, what, you, what is hate speech, what is not, why? Because everyone in our culture right now understands the power of an idea. The power of truth or the power of a lie, listen, can shift a culture. Right? Low-hanging fruit here. Germany, during the World War II era, I don't know if you know much about Germany, right, but Germany was the leader of the Western world prior to World War II. Right, if you know anything about world history, Germany was the leader of the world prior to the first two world wars. They were the apex of Western civilization. Not America. All right? Germany was. Um, by any metric system that you would measure, art coming out of Germany, music, coming out of Germany. Science, coming out of Germany. Religion, coming out of Germany. The Reformation started in Germany. Luther and those guys, all right? It was, it was post-enlightenment now, all right? It was kind of going off the rails. But, but Germany was a leader, but in a few decades, listen, the entire society was destroyed by the inside, by what? An idea. By an idea. By a lie. Ideas about race. And nationality that appealed to this disordered desire that began to be normalized inside of a sinful society. And Germany, listen, Germany imploded from the inside out. This is how Satan wants to work in my life and in your life. Listen to me, I'm closing up here. Closing up here. All sin at its root, all sin at its root, before its desire or rebellion, before its desire or rebellion, is about what you think is true. It's about what you think is true. The truth that you hold inside of your mind. Now, the problem is that it seems to be so easy to spot toxic lies in other societies and other people and so hard to spot them inside your own mind and heart, right? 
Like, I can, I can look out and say, well, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. And then people come at you, and you're like, come at me, bro, parking lot, midnight. Like, like, you just can't see things inside of your own, inside of your, it's so easy to spot toxicity in other people, but it's so hard to spot it inside of, inside of our own. And listen, we're all living with redefinitions of things we find true. Listen, culture right now is trying to redefine marriage, trying to redefine family, trying to redefine sexuality, <coughs> trying to re- Culture's constantly trying to redefine everything away from the good, the beautiful, and the true in order to normalize it inside of, inside of a culture that's in rebellion. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm closing this thing down here, all right? Shocking me because this is where we're going to go next week. This is why Jesus came as a teacher. This is why Jesus came as a truth a truth teller. This is why Jesus comes as a teacher, a truth teller, and he calls for apprentices. Like he calls for disciples that are going to repent, and, and, and repent here just means to rethink reality. That are going to agree that my understanding of reality has been rooted in a lie. I gotta, I have to repent. I have to rethink. I have to rethink reality. He's looking for apprentices to repent, to rethink reality, and then. Believe, and that's trust, listen, in his vision of the kingdom. To trust in his mental map of reality. To trust in his idea. This is why Jesus comes as a teacher. Jesus doesn't come with tanks and armies and these, these kinds of things because Jesus knows, listen, the real enemy is not flesh and blood. The real enemy is what is behind flesh and blood, these principalities and powers. This is exactly what Ephesians 6 says, isn't it? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in this world. Jesus knows the real enemy isn't just flesh and blood. It is the evil behind the evil. So listen, in the Old Testament, when it says that the Messiah is coming as a conquering warrior and everyone's thinking, man, an army general, or is this like this? Listen, he wasn't coming to conquer just humanity. He was coming to conquer sin and principalities. So he did come as a warrior. But the way this warrior fought was his death on a cross, teaching truth, truth and his sacrifice. And the end was slain. Oh, that's good news, man. It's good news. So listen, to follow Jesus, listen to me, to follow Jesus is to trade in your mental map and the map that culture gives you and says, this corresponds to reality. This corresponds when it doesn't. To be a follower of Jesus is to trade in your mental map given to you by culture or your family or, or whatever and adopt, listen, and adopt his. And adopt his. He came to deal with our distorted reality and offer us true reality. He came to offer us truth. Listen, truth and lies, this is like so basic but so profound. All right, I read this and I was like, oh man, I need to find that for like six days Truth and lies have zero power over us until we believe them. Truth and lies have zero power over us until we believe them. Because what you believe, you trust in. 
And what you trust in, you live into. And at that point, the power and authority, if it's a lie, as you live into it, listen, is set loose in your body and your mind. It's by lies that we're enslaved and taken, taken captive, but it's by truth that we're what? Set free. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And so Jesus stands in front of this fallen world and makes this statement in John. I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. So listen, here's what I want you to do, all right? Here's your homework assignment for the next week. Uh, boo, I know, shut up. Um, <laughs> um, two things. The first one you have to do inside of community. All right, two or three other people that you know and you trust. All right? I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to spend some time just talking with the Lord and saying, Lord, the enemy works in lies. And he tries to get me to believe certain things about happiness. He tries to get me this mental map that's rooted in a lie that in the end leads to unreality. All right? Lord, are there any lies of the enemy that I'm believing? Ask, ask dad that. Are there any lies of the enemy that I am believing? Spirit, would you bring those things to mind? Spirit, would you reveal those? That, that's assignment one because I want you to do that and write things down. And then I want you to get with two or three people because this is never good to do by yourself. Okay? To get with two or three people and say, and here's some lies that I think the enemy might be speaking in my life. What do you think? And have two or three people, preferably everyone with their Bible open. Because where's truth? It's not a scripture. We're going to hammer that next week, okay? But, but with your Bible open, speak truth in me. Is that thing a lie? Okay? Is, is, that thing, is that thing a lie? So that's the first thing I want you to do, all right? Uh, homework assignment two. Um, I want you to write out... Uh, um, who's got a pen? Right. Thank you. Okay. Um, I uh, should have made a thing over here, but I didn't. Okay. The next thing I want you to do is make like six boxes. And when you have the lie, I want you to write the lie over here. So the lie would be like, uh, I'm not worthy, or whatever, all right? Or Jesus hates me. Whatever that lie is, all right? He doesn't. Um, but then what desire is that? Or, or, or take, take your pick. Um, I'm not going to get on the hobby horse now. I'll get on it later. Um, soapbox, hobby horse, whatever. Uh, um, what's this lie that you're believing? This lie about what's going to make you happy, all right? Like if I cheat on my test and get an A in this class by cheating, I'll be happy. Okay, what desire is that appealing to? Well, it's, a, it's appealing this, to this desire to succeed. Like if I succeed, I think I'm a failure. And if I fail, then I think I'm a failure. All right, you get rid of this going. In the economy of God... All right, what desire? And then how does that lie become normalized inside of your life? I cheat all the time. I never do my own homework. It's become normalized inside of my life, right? Write that down. And on the other side, I want you to write, but what's the truth? What's the truth? And that truth 
What desire is that truth appealing to? How is this disordered desire corrected? Corrected, okay? And then if that disordered desire, that truth corrects this desire, what then is the action that gets to become normalized inside of my life? What should this normalized action rooted in truth and a right desire look like? Does that make sense? I'll put these things up on our Genuine page, and I'll get Chad to kind of tweet them out on our, our Twitter. Um, I'll put both of those exercises up this week. Man, I really encourage you to jump into that, all right? To jump into that. Because this is how Satan works, man. This is how he's going to work in our life. Spiritual warfare for you and me is on the battlefield of truth and lie. On the battlefield of truth and lie, okay? So what lies are you believing? That, that's where it takes place. We're going to have to talk about spiritual warfare next week and Ephesians and Genesis chapter 3 and then come back to John chapter 8 and kind of piece some things together from those three those three places. All right, everyone good? Everyone good? All right, what, what time is it? How late did I go tonight? Was I good or did I go long? 8.15, 10 o'clock? All right, here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to pray and we're just going to get out of here. Okay, I'm going to pray and you guys can you guys can bounce, all right? Father, thanks so much for tonight. And... Uh, I just want to thank you for the truth that's inside of your word. And I, I'm...